bonus. Bonus. Episode. The big bonus. Episode. Bonus means extra. Matt and Alex. Bonus. Episode. Well, Meadowkind, this is quite exciting. A little uh, bonus episode here of Matt and Alex's All Day Breakfast. Yeah, that's right. It's brought to you by Koala for every home among the gum trees. And uh, we're doing something a little bit different. This segment is all about comfy couches, uncomfy topics with your boys, Matt and Alex. Yes, that's right. We've got an incredible lineup of guests who are going to be joining us for these little segments. And we're going to be asking them questions that potentially we wouldn't really get to in a standard Matt and Alex episode. Some questions that, you know, could go go to the depth of who people are, some lived experience and some topics that, yeah, just make you... Uh, get a little bit awkward sometimes, but... We're putting on the uh, scuba gear, going for a deep dive into the uh, incredible lived experiences, cultures, and background of these amazing guests. And today, Alex Dyson, we've got a very special person indeed. One of my favourite people to chat to. Her name is Marley Silva. She's a storyteller, a podcast host, and the co-founder of Titters for Titters, which has now got a book as well, My Titter, My Sister, which was released on September 2nd. Uh, she's joining us right now from her home in Sydney. Hello, Marley Silva. Hey, guys. So great to be chatting with you again. Yeah, no, we're so excited to have you on the show. You are a, a Gamilaroi and Dungadi woman. Uh, are you able to just start off by letting us know a little bit about those those particular areas or nations? Yeah, so um, I talk about the two countries that kind of make up um, my family. Um, traditionally, um, for some mob, you, you just more reference the matriarchal line. Um, so that would be my grandmother. She's a, a Gamilaroi woman and that country um, is in northwestern New South Wales um, and particularly um, a, a part of that country my family's from is Moree. And then my grandfather uh, was a Dungari man and, and that's more kind of on the coast, still in New South Wales, um, but and further up north. And he um, grew up in on Burnt Bridge Mission in Kempsey. So um, we're Coorys, that's what we call ourselves, being from New South Wales. Um, and it's both beautiful countries in my humble opinion. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, why don't, well, this is about uncomfortable conversations. Let's start off here, Marley. Why don't I know my own going through primary school? Why aren't we taught in school um, how to say, hello, my name is Alex in the local Indigenous language and culture? Yeah, well, you know what, Alex, that's a question I, I asked myself um, growing up on the, I didn't grow up on, on the countries where my family's from. I grew up on um, Darrell country, south of Sydney, and, and we didn't learn that in schools. And, um, you know, it's so rare for that to be a part of it. And it's because our country was founded, you know, with the Western lenses that were brought from Europe and, and from the get-go, we were seen as less than or subhuman and, and, you know, literally not even counted as humans until 1967. So there was no value for the rich culture that we had, you know, um, and still remain to have, you know, for over 60,000 years. Um, it was kind of just stamped out in, in such a short time slot on that um, timeline, you know, in 250 years we were we were just kind of, we've lost so much of that language and lost so much of the stories that helped us survive for this long period. So unfortunately, um, there's very little um, information about some of the languages, but then there's other parts of, you know, and Australia is, truly is a continent. We talk about all these different countries. There's somewhere that's so rich and the kids um, in certain communities know you know, English is the third language. Um, but in more metro regions, more... Um, the places that were kind of 
first touched by colonization, it is definitely a lot harder um, to know that information. Mm. Yeah, and you've, you've you've touched on a couple of um, instances of of obvious mistreatment and you know misjustice for uh, Indigenous people in Australia. Um, let's talk about the phrase "get over it." What does that mean to you? And how and how you know how frustrating is it when people kind of suggest that that's simply what Indigenous people should do? Um, yeah, it's incredibly frustrating because it comes from a place or it comes from a belief um, that some people hold that the systems of oppression that Australia was founded on and um, don't still affect the way that we live um, today and the the way, things that are kind of accepted as this is the way it is. Um, you know, particularly we see this as relevant um, in our incarceration system, um, how we're only 3% of the population, but we're so overrepresented um, in, in the justice system and particularly our kids are or how many of our young people live away from their families in the out-of-home care system. Um, the fact that our life expectancy is so much shorter than non-Indigenous Australians um, and that, you know, there's less of us at universities and less of us in um, politics or in high-powered positions. Um, this is the residual um, kind of destruction of the what happened when um, white people first arrived here. Mm. Um, that's what people disregard when they say get over it. And there's so much intergenerational trauma and suffering that, um, you know, my grandmother went through that my my dad even had to face and to say that, um, you know, it, it should be uh, completely something that we just moved on from in, in one generation is absurd and unrealistic and unfair um, because there's a lot we need to address still. Yeah, the effects of which are still being felt today, and even even for yourself, Miley, like you're a, just you're a young woman just going through life like everyone else who has this sort of cultural heritage, or which when statistics like that come up, when events like uh, you know the Rio Tinto blowing up the Yukon Gorge recently, a video I watched on the Guardian was just heartbreaking. But for yourself, who has to who has to live with these stats throughout your life, do you, can you tangibly feel the weight upon you? I think, um, you know, when I was a bit younger, um, first understanding my responsibility um, as not just a, a young Aboriginal person sort of carrying the, the hopes and dreams of my, um, yeah, my grandparents, but someone who admittedly, you know, I come from a place of, of privilege um, because my, my parents were able to provide me a really great start to life. Um, and I also have privilege in the fact that I, even though I'm Aboriginal, I have, you know, light coloured skin and, and I don't get questioned about that sort of stuff. Um, so, but early on you start to learn all of this sort of stuff and you feel like there's so much that needs to be addressed and, you know, you're, I also was kind of forced to be the spokesperson for Aboriginal people for my high school, even at 13, because I was the only identifying kid there. Um, and I remember feeling so overwhelmed and, um, exhausted in a lot of ways and like mm. I was constantly fighting um, but then I remembered how lucky I am to have the position that I do and and um, the opportunities that I have had and so I just turned it into sort of a fuel to the fire and kind of remembering um, yeah the responsibility I hold in in that to to carry on what you know those who've come before me and those who are beside me are still fighting for. Um, I'd love to talk about the sexualization or therefore the or the lack 
thereof of Indigenous women in Australian culture, Marley, because, you know, Miranda Tapsell and, and Nakia Louie have a great podcast uh, that's called Pretty for an Aboriginal. And, you know, and I feel it's such an, a, you know, a well, disgusting phrase that they have probably heard many times. Um, and I'm not sure whether you've heard this, you know, people have said the same thing to you thinking that it's a compliment or something, but is is there a lack of empowerment when it comes to sexualization for Indigenous women in Australian media? I think, you know, it is one of those things, like every Aboriginal person has a different experience. There's no one universal um, way to be Aboriginal, but it's almost um, feels like one of the most common phrases I know that, um, you know, myself and my um, Aboriginal sisters have faced is this kind of you know, constant questioning of our identity, but a lot of shock around, you know, what we look like and this perception of, of who we are and to be pretty for an Aboriginal. I remember the first time I heard it, it just feels so absurd to me, you know, um, because in my day-to-day life, my personal life, the most beautiful women I know are all Aboriginal and that's kind of irrelevant and objective. Mm. But, um, you know, it, it is, as you say, like such a reflection of, of what we um, hold as the perfect example of, of beauty is looking, you know, Eurocentric and, um, you know, especially where I grew up, you had to be blonde and um, a surfer chick to be, you know, even uh, mentioned by the boys at school or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it talks to a much bigger issue around women in general, where your worth is so dependent on what you look like um, and whether you're desired by the opposite sex. Um, and it's just another tool to put down, um, yeah, women who don't fit a box. Uh, I feel like, um, you know, the whole of 2020 and how it's put, you know, thrown so many things in, in up into the air, I, I found a lot of the conversations I'm having with the people around me are a lot deeper. And um, I've been talking a lot about how we have this obsession with our society, which I think, um, you know, was definitely put on us as with invasion is to put things into boxes Mm. so you can understand them. And I think it happens with beauty and what beauty is as well. And if you don't fit this, that, and the other, whether it's body shape or skin color or background, um, yeah, you're not considered beautiful, but it's, it's, yeah, it's so crazy to me. And I think it also um, is, is one because we have a very specific um, set of criteria for what beautiful is, but also because so many people don't know what, Aboriginal people look like and how diverse that look is. Did you ever wish you weren't Aboriginal? Um, no, I, I can confidently say I've never ever wished for anything other than to be a blackfellow. Uh, it's the thing that's brought me the most strength. It's the thing that has brought the, you know, um, strongest connections I've had with other people, you know, outside of my family. And um, it's given, it's my purpose is mm. to to show pride and, and do what I can with my, I guess, my skill set of storytelling um, to to honour my, my people and my history. Um, but it, I definitely um, know of so many others, particularly, obviously I work in a space where I'm, I'm particularly focused on Aboriginal women's stories and, and so heartbreakingly um, it's a common occurrence to hear that because of the, the constant kind of trauma that's laid on t- top of layers and, and things like that, um, which is really devastating. Absolutely. Well, well, tell us about that that culture that you have then and that you have been proud of uh, all the time. What are, what are some quirks of, uh, you know, Indigenous and First Nations cultures uh, that potentially other people wouldn't get to experience in their life? 
Oh, my favourite thing, hands down, that I love watching non-Indigenous people experience for the first time um, is where you can be, you know, I've experienced it in a professional sense quite a few times, uh, being in a, a meeting room, meeting, you know, a potential client or partner for the first time. Um, and Blackfellas, we ask each other, you know, not what your job title is or what you do, but who's your mob and where are you from? Mm. Um, <laughs> even with, you know, really quote-unquote important people in business spaces and things like that, that's still the first question you ask and yeah. you, um, you know, Quite a few times in my life I've been in rooms with people I've never met who and find out that I'm related to them or things like that, <laughs> or know their family. or yeah. um, And I, I just think it's something that's so beautiful and um, a, a testament to the generosity and kind of um, a, a desire to, to really be one mob that our people have. We always want to know how we're connected, not how we're different. I think that all of Australia could learn from that attitude. How, how do you sure. feel about non-Indigenous people, like, using the term mob or, you know, saying deadly something's deadly something and like stuff that, like yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of um, discussion within community and there's some a lot of people who have different perspectives on that sort of stuff. Um, I personally think it's pretty cool um, when non-Indigenous people are, um, you know, constantly educating themselves on, on particular lingo and that sort of stuff. I think it's... Um, Awesome for, for things like, you know, um, people knowing what Koori or Murray means and, and you know, because everyone always, there's a big debate around whether it's Indigenous or Aboriginal or whatever, whatever, and I personally like Koori um, or things mm. like that. And, um, yeah, it's sometimes it can be a little bit cringe when um, <laughs> some people use deadly and things like that because you're just like, oh, it's not quite the right context. Do you know what yeah. always, old white dudes always call me brother and I'm like, what? <laughs> It's always so, it's always so funny. Yeah. Like, How you going, brother? Like what? <laughs> nah, bro. Come on, please. <laughs> but um, but uh, and what about what about like I mean? Because there's been a couple of issues in the news recently, um, Marley. That that you know you must have very strong opinions on. Especially you know the two things that jump out to me: the free the flag situation that was happening, um, and changing the date. Alex Dyson, you you were intrigued about the changing the date situation as well. Well, yeah, to me, Marley, it's it's a matter of not if, but when. And so mm. the the delay in doing something that would just would make it all better at once and, you know, include a bunch of people who by the nature of you know, picking that date has been excluded for so long. Mm. I don't I don't see why the delay just is. I'm sure you're it, the right. I'm sure you're the same. What conversation have you had and what I guess how have you how close have you been to, you know, the the people making the decisions in these sort of areas to try and uh, to get this done for our fellow Australians? Yeah, well, I, I would say that a big um, obstacle in the way of, of just, you know, getting it changed is the fact that um, we as a community are so far away from the people who are making those decisions. Mm. Um, you know, I find that my age group honestly couldn't give a crap um, what day things are on. They just want a public holiday. That's the general consensus, <laughs> I find. And then, you know, obviously there's the subset of people who are a bit more informed and kind of, you know, want to have productive conversations and the rest are like, oh, we don't care. We just like want a public holiday and make people happy, um, which I, you know, definitely wasn't the case as I was growing up. Um, you know, my sister and I often talk about how it, it 
for our entire adolescence and even up until now, it's one of the, if not the hardest day on the calendar because there's so much pressure put on you. Um, it doesn't matter if you have a public profile or mm-hmm. you're just um, the only Aboriginal person in the lunchroom. Um, it's something that people will corner you um, for to, to have a discussion and ask your opinion. Um, sometimes, again, they're like, can be well-meaning, like the same people who try and use deadly, but um, other times there's people who have a very well-prepared um, response or um, essentially try think that they have the right to try and um, argue with you or start an argument with you around why you're wrong and they're right. Um, and especially like when you're a kid, it's just a bit of a nightmare and mm. it's something that I definitely personally really want change um but i think it's also really important for us to know that just changing the day isn't really going to solve all the problems and Mm. it's more just the start of of a change rather than the be all and end all i think if we're to change the date we've got to change the country with it and particularly around like what it means to be an australian and have that tough conversation because the day is not inclusive of us but it's also not inclusive of migrant communities because there is this sort of you know bogan southern cross tattoo sort of you love it or leave it attitude that comes with the day. Um, and I think, you know, being someone who grew up in Cronulla, I can say was definitely, um, you know, emphasised from from those rights we saw in the mm. early 2000s. Um, yeah. I, I find that I look in kind of our modern history and that's a really big shift around, a, you know, at least in the community I grew up in, um, what the day represents and, and what, you know, I grew up looking at the Australian flag um, and not feeling it had anything to do with me um, and actually being scared if I saw someone with an Aussie flag on or, um, you know, Mm. the sticker on the back of a car, um, which I think is probably a good (laughs) transition into talking about um, the Free the Flag movement as well. So my my flag that's how i look at the aboriginal flag is my flag that's the thing that's represented me my whole life and um i've never felt connected to any any other kind of symbol like that and to see the way that that has unfolded and and to have the rights of our flag not treated like any other flag in the world um i mean it's just another kind Mm. of adding to the wound but um you know I, I still have respect for for the artist who designed it and I know that it's a tricky space and um yeah you well, just that's... you just want to be able to like that's the thing that we had and it, it was you know not so political and I could just feel joy in it but mm. yeah it's just that's been thrown in the air too <laughs> I think it's a t- it was a tough one for me as well because while I, I while I would always encourage the use of the flag for the right reasons Part of me is also like, well, does it give a free ride to some people who haven't earned the the use of the flag? Do you know what I mean? So, like, mm. for instance, there you you know you could have companies who then just start putting the indigenous flag on everything, and they they could have terrible values that are not supportive of indigenous culture or community at all, and yet they put an indigenous flag on their jerseys or or t-shirts or whatever and then go oh look we're we're supportive or we're good guys you down know, at that the souvenir shop but there are big conglomerates who uh really has nothing to do and if anything has hurt the communities yeah yeah I well, just, we I see don't know. examples of, of that already you just go down to circular key and mm. you know see those little boomerang um key chains with with something that's you know not inauthentic aboriginal art that's just trying to make a profit that's that's the biggest fear is, is trying to make a profit of something that has so much meaning to 
to our people is, is yeah, really awful. But, you know, it, it's incredible to watch the way, um, you know, people who've, who've been fighting this fight for the Free the Flag com- campaign, you know, particularly Clothing the Gap, um, run, really leading the front there. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's one of those things, again, you're just like, come on, really? This is mm, easily fixed, yeah. surely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> So true. Well, Marley Silver, we could try and have an uncomfortable conversation with you all day, but I don't think we'll ever succeed because you're such an incredible speaker and a, a great person. Thank you so much for joining us here uh, on Matt and Alex. I really appreciate talking to you. And um, yeah, good luck with your own podcast. If you want to hear more from Marley, you've got an incredible podcast. Always was, always will be our stories. Check out the book as well, My Tita, My Sister, which has just come out. Has it been cool to be a published author, Marley? Yeah, it's still pretty surreal. I'm looking at my book right now in front of me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I really did that. (laughs) (laughs) should be so proud. It's great. It's funny when people come over and you've just got it on the table and you're like, no, 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 I don't. don't, I'm not reading my own book all the time. (laughs) Um, But anyway, thanks thanks so much, Marley. It's always such a pleasure and we uh, can't wait to chat to you again next time. Thanks, guys. It was great getting uncomfortable with you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.